they meet. The boys moved onto their knees and watched through eager brown eyes as I sliced the meat into inch-wide strips, layering it with seasonings, lemon juice, salt, black pepper, fresh chunks of garlic, onion. I lifted the bowl to their noses, letting them smell the flavors seeping into the meat before I tossed the tender sticky pieces with my fingers. I never tired of seeing their awe at my performing the simplest tasks. I loved them for being with me when there was no one else left. I nudged them aside and relit the coal pot. The shimmery flame smacked the pot's rusty bottom. The boys drooled. I passed my shirt over their mouths and tried to shoo them away, but they refused. The sugar melted into the hot oil, turning silvery black. I slid the damp cuts into the searing pot. The smoke swallowed us. The coconut milk whitened the pieces, offering a promising sizzle. My plan that afternoon was to feed the boys early and get them to my neighbor, Carol Ann, so I could leave on time for my appointment with Mrs. Duncan in Tunapuna. I wanted to avoid the after-school ruckus and the judgmental eyes, but it took a few hours for the tough meat to soften and stew, and then the boys took their time, massaging each bite between their small teeth. Eat up, I said. I wiped their faces, cleaned their ears, then set aside slivers for each of the next four days, rice, bread, cassava, breadfruit, any one of those would accompany the leftover meat and gravy quite nicely. I hurried the boys to Carol Ann's, where they both pressed their backs against her door and began to cry. Come, let her go, Carol Ann said, yanking at their shirt sleeves. Being a seamstress required house calls, and living way out in Blanchichet's, where roads were often blocked by landslides for weeks or even months. I could never be sure when I would make it back. Caroline, a client whose taste didn't match her budget, had been kind enough on occasion to mind them for me, though I long suspected by the way she chewed the inside of her cheek that she'd rather repay her debt to me any other way. In Tunapuna, I delivered four drop-waist dresses before arriving at the top of Mrs. Duncan's road. Although Mrs. Duncan had been my mother's most loyal customer and likely wouldn't have cared that I was ten minutes late, I despised the tardiness. I was sixteen years old. It was difficult getting customers to trust me. Sticking to my word, keeping my mother's past clients happy, kept food on the table. I walked briskly with the sun disappearing behind a sky half full of dust-colored clouds. I smiled at two ladies who stood near the road chatting with metal spoons in their hands. The thick scents of their aromatic foods boiling outside in heavy pots reminded me that I hadn't eaten enough. I tapped on Mrs. Duncan's door. I had scrubbed my fingers with vinegar and lemon juice before leaving home, but as they gripped Mrs. Duncan's dress box, I could still smell the musky manacoo fur. Eh, hey, 
Who knocked in the door? Came the deep bass voice of Inspector Duncan, Mrs. Duncan's husband. I could hear Mrs. Duncan sucking her teeth for a long chops. Take two steps and open the door, David. Boy, you smart to stay to yourself, Inspector Duncan joked to someone. Get married, and from the day you bring she home, you only get in lip. Thunderous footfalls grew close. I wiped thumb-sized drops of rain from my face. I had to get out of Tunapuna within the hour, or I wouldn't make it back to Blanchichez in a rainstorm without flapping all the day's money at some taxi driver who'd complain that nobody in their right mind would leave Blanchichez one day and expect to go back the same day. Inspector Duncan finally opened the door.